The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everybody. And at this hour, New York City's residential development trends, like so much else in the city, are a study in contrast. On the one hand, super talls continue to sprout up across town, altering the city's skyline and providing residents with massive amenity pack self-contained communities. On the other, boutique condos have been declared the sexiest way to live these days, and they're appearing along the Brooklyn waterfront and in all of Manhattan, offering buyers privacy, if not tons of perks. We will talk about one of those boutique buildings with its developer here in the studio this morning. Also at this hour, the, in, the international luxury residential market, that's $10 million and up, will see more demand than supply over the next three years, with 25% of high net worth individuals expected to buy high-end real estate compared to the 17% who want to sell, according to a new report from Luxury Portfolio International, a conglomerate of more than 200 brokerages around the world. So that is a, is a global thing, not a just in Manhattan thing. Plus, the panel is here for Hot Topics, but first I would like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco, and this is Good Morning New York Real Estate. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, email myself or the panel here at the show, or you can always email me at vrocco at halstead.com. And before we start this morning with our guest, I just want to say thank you to everybody. Once again, the ratings were in for September, and we we, we uh, got the best numbers yet in almost four years on the air, the best numbers yet. We have lots of fans out there, so thank you to my panel, as always, and to the various guests that I have. I am so grateful, and all of our hard work and effort every week to put the show on the air is clearly paying off. I mean, I look at these numbers at the end of each month and September just blew me out of the water. And, you know, thanks to the guys out here uh, who are with me today and, and the others who will be joining us next week. All right. Anyway, my guest uh, today is um, Mark Shore. As one of the few luxury condominiums in Hell's Kitchen, uh, no, hold on a minute. Founded in 1986, my principals, Mark, by principals Mark Shore and William Shore, Shore Assets has been actively involved in the acquisition, development, redevelopment, financing, management, and leasing of real estate in all of New York City. Their hands-on approach demands detailed-oriented, principal-level oversight of all processes from start to finish and a commitment to a quality product resulting in elevated standards for property and maintenance and living, and I can attest to that. Um, as one of the few luxury condominiums in Hell's Kitchen, the conversion, for example, at 318 West 47th Street developed by Shore Assets and Pilot Real Estate Group quickly attracted attention. Uh, uh, William Leggio, Leggio, yes, uh, architect designed the exterior of the attractive bluestone brick building. The interiors were designed by Catch ID, and no detail was overlooked. All of the kitchens feature Millet appliances, honed marble slab countertops, and Ann Sachs foundation brick uh, backsplashes. Master baths have full height 
Calicutta gold hone marble walls, La Cava fixtures, walk-in steam showers, which are awesome, with rain heads and hand showers, soaking tubs and radiant floor heating. The building comprises five apartments spread over seven stories. The three full-floor homes, all of which are accessed via keyed, private keyed elevator, have private balconies off the great rooms, and they are sold out. At a uh, three-level masonette and a duplex penthouse remain on the market. The three-bedroom, three-and-a-half bath masonette spans uh, three levels and offers a separate entrance through its private garage with an electric Tesla charger. Features ex- uh, exclusive to this unit include a home office, study, and recreation room. As impressive as the interiors are, its best features are perhaps the indoor and outdoor master suite and large backyard connected to the great room. It is listed at $5.49 million dollars. And the duplex penthouse encompasses the top two levels and is distinguished by a private outdoor great room with built-in kitchens on the upper level, offering panoramic panoramic views with exposures in all directions. Additional outdoor features include a private master suite terrace and an outdoor shower. It is listed for four four nine five. The building, interesting, used to, interestingly, used to be uh, a theatrical lighting wholesaler, highly appropriate for its location near the best of Broadway. It is also a short walk. From Hell's Kitchen's top restaurant services and transportation, where I had dinner last night. Good morning, Mark Shore. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Vince. Thank you for having me. So, you know, the fascination in this town, as as we talked about in the beginning, are the super talls, and now they're the boutique buildings. So we're going to talk a little bit about the boutique buildings. There still is a gem or two for smaller developers in Manhattan or larger developers. And Mark, as we said, found a rare opportunity on West 47th Street and built a new six-unit condominium building. You were quoted in an article a couple of years ago saying to get a building in prime Manhattan that's going to be delivered vacant, that's a rare commodity. You also said uh, we went after it pretty aggressively, put in an offer in it, and paid whatever the seller wanted us to pay. Tell us why this is such a great location. Tell us why this property was a good find. And tell us a little bit about the, 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 the process by which you purchase land and then, of course, go into building a, a building. Oh, Vince, it's... Um you know, it's interesting. There's so much competition in the New York City marketplace for real estate as a developer, and there's such a limited supply. So when you see a transaction come across your desk where it's an existing building that can be delivered vacant, that's number one, a rare commodity. When you see it in a prime Manhattan location, and here this is, you know, you're 10 blocks from Central Park, you're you know, 10 to 15 blocks from Times Square and what's happening down in um, the west side of Manhattan, you're right in the middle of everything that's going on. So you've got a vacant building that is an as-of-right development for residential, which is primarily what we do. It's just a very rare commodity. So you go after something like that, even if you feel that potentially you may be paying more than you would ideally like to pay, you pay it so you can gain control of it. Um and that's really what we went after. I'm very uh, familiar with the neighborhood. As you know, I've been selling in that neighborhood for a, a, almost exactly 10 years this, this month. And so Hell's Kitchen to me is, is a fantastic place. It's very familiar. But it also is a place that over the years has morphed from you know whatever it was into this really spectacular uh, playground, so to speak, of the most incredible restaurants and bars and places to, to have lots of fun in. So did you take that into consideration when you were looking to build this building on West 47th Street? Absolutely. We look at Hell's Kitchen as a great neighborhood that's only got much more growth potential than where it was 
even five, ten years ago, and I think it's continued have growth potential in that marketplace. So anybody that gets into the Hell's Kitchen market today is going to see significant appreciation over the next five, ten years. Yeah, I would agree with that. And another building that I'm associated with on West 47th Street, as a matter of fact, that they've seen great um, appreciation over the past five to six years. What are your thoughts in general, though, on the the boutique-sized buildings as compared to the super talls that are out there, you know, popping up all over the city? Controversial in in some uh, some uh, instances. In fact, there was one on Am- there is one on Amsterdam Avenue that was fighting with the community over the height of this building. As of this past week, the the neighborhood lost. The developer wins. The building proceeds, and so this new super tall. I think it's going to be you know the tallest residential building in Manhattan as we speak. So, what are your thoughts on the on the boutique aspect of living in Manhattan versus living in a super tall? Because there are so many differences. Uh, it's an interesting question, and it and it has so many different perspectives to answer from. Um, on one hand, as a developer developing a boutique building, it gives us an opportunity to create something that's very unique, and we can focus on a lot of the details and create a product that has a high level of quality. And a, um, whereas, if you're building a super tall, as you like to call it, or a building with fifty, hundred units. As a developer, you really don't have the ability or the time to create such a special, unique place. You've got to really get the work done, get the product finished, and get it out to market. When you have a boutique building, you have a little more time, and you can create something that's very special and unique. So I think that should appeal to a certain type of buyer who's out there who wants that level of quality, that level of... um, privacy as well that you can get in a boutique building that you're not necessarily going to get in the super tall. Yeah, I was going to ask you about, so in your opinion, who is the profile of the buyer who is coming to see a boutique building versus a super tall or just a regular, you know, tall glass building, uh, whether it's in Hell's Kitchen or whether it's, you know, uptown or downtown, what do, what do you think that profile of that buyer? Now, you mentioned quality, you mentioned privacy, which I think when I meet with people in the building, these are the two things that they seek. But is it just that or is it more? I think it's... Um, also, people that, you know, they want, again, that privacy, but they're going to go after the quality level, and they don't necessarily need these super tall amenities that you're going to get or these views that you can get sometimes in the super tall. And let's not, let's not forget the fact that the views, it's not like the views are on every floor. It depends where you are in the building, how high you up, and you're going to pay for that. It's enormous... Um, we talk about that a lot on this program. There are a lot of people who seek out all these fully amenitized buildings for a whole host of reasons, and then some people who don't really care that much about amenities, uh, and then when they do have them, they don't really use them. And we go, as, as real estate agents and brokers, we go through this on, on a regular basis You know, with, are you really going to use this fitness room? Do you really need a rooftop terrace? Do you really need you know this or that? Uh, they will always tell you yes up front, but then when you go on, you know, and ask them questions later on after purchase... I mean, they, they tend to say, well, you know, I work a lot, so I don't really have time. One of the things I like about your building, and I have the privilege of selling these these last two units over there, is exactly what you said. The privacy is unbelievable. You know, I have a saying that's, you know, smack in the middle of Midtown Madness, all of these buildings. You walk into the Masonette or the penthouse, and all of a sudden you're in a different world. You don't know where you are. You forget where you are. There isn't a sound out there anyway. So that lends to the quality aspect of, of your delivery. Uh, but 
it's a special way, I think, to live in this town. You know, we walk up and down these beautiful tree-lined streets, whether it's uptown or downtown or midtown, and all you see are townhouses. And those are beautiful one-family houses for the most part. And you say to yourself, wow, you know, isn't that a great way to live in this town? So here's an opportunity on, on West 47th Street to live in one of these penthouse or masonettes for not anywhere near the price of these townhouses, but yet still feel like you're in one. And when you walk through the masonette anyway, uh, and then you you know come in and out of the garage, which I like to do on Sundays, just to open the garage door and go outside and, and breathe fresh air, you just think, wow, this is quite amazing. Would you do another boutique building again? Absolutely. Again, for the same reasons? Yeah, for the same reasons. Um, I think we enjoy the process as a developer. It's not so much, look, obviously you want it to be financially rewarding, but we also enjoy, we're a hands-on developer. We take a lot of pride in what we do. So it's important to us that at the end of the day, the people that are going to be living here have a quality product, will enjoy living there, appreciate the time and effort that goes into it, and hopefully won't have any kind of long-term problems as sometimes in new development. You never know. If you're going to start spitting out units, you can end up potentially with some problems, long-term physical issues. Things don't come together quite the way that you might like. But in what we do in a boutique product, you have the ability to take your time and get it right. All right, we're going to come back with Mark for a few more questions. We have to take a break. We are live from Blastoff Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. Don't go away. We will be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, buddy. We are back with Mark Shore from Shore Assets, the developer for 318 West 47th Street in Midtown West here in New York City. Mark, I wanted to ask you a couple more questions. So 
you know, according to the press, we're talking about the real deal, we're talking about Curved, we're talking about Brick Underground, all of the, the wonderful Bibles that we in this industry, you know, follow on a really regular basis, say that there are 40-plus new construction projects coming to the market between now and all through 2008, whether it's boutique building, whether it's, you know, uh, as we're calling them, super talls today. How do you see the market absorbing these units? I mean, where are we today and where do you think we're going to go with, and I don't have a number of units, you know, 5,000 more units, whatever the number is, but there are 40 more projects. And as you and I talked about before the show, maybe 20 of them come to market, maybe 30, maybe 15. That's still an awful lot of new development projects. Sure. Um, You know, it's an interesting time in the marketplace right now. And I think whether 40 projects actually get built and come to market Time will tell. Uh, there was an interesting um, article I noticed about, and I think it was put out by the Real Estate Board in New York, that actually permit new residential permits are down this year from the prior two years. So that's a little telling also for the future as to what will actually get delivered to the marketplace. So I think once this inventory that's now in the market and coming in the market gets absorbed, there's going to be less new construction so there's going to be less supply so over time let's say if you're in the market to buy today i think it's a good time to be out there looking you have a lot of selection to choose from and you're probably going to be able to have a a good price point to to enter the market but if you have a long-term perspective as the supply gets absorbed and less product comes to market you'll see appreciation in the marketplace i think over the next you know four to five years what is what are land values look uh, like right now for for a, a period of time that prices for land was fairly high, therefore the price per square foot on the build out and the sell out was was equally high. Where do you see it today as a developer looking at potential future projects, looking at the land that these buildings will sit on? Where are we today with that? Look, land pricing has flattened and come down over the last couple of years um, for all the various reasons of supply issues, Uh, financing availability is not as prevalent as it had been in terms of construction lending. There are still opportunities for a unique site. If somebody has a unique site, that's going to get purchased just because land is only so much land. And if a unique site comes along, people are going to pay up to control it. Even though they may not build today, they'll build at some point when they feel comfortable. but for those tertiary sites that, you know, you can get one right around the corner and there's another one two blocks away and another three blocks away, that land's not really moving today unless it's priced right. I live on the Upper West Side on West End Avenue, 94th Street, and there's a building right next door to me. It's a six-story building. It's a, it's a luxury rental building. It's been there. It looks like it's a, an 80s building. It's been there for a very long time. Lovely looking building. Nice gardens around it, whatever. And about two years ago, we heard that they're going to be building a 10-story condominium on top of that building. So, of course, I freak out. I'm on the 10th floor. I have open views because that building is only six stories or seven stories, whatever it is. So I have magnificent water views of the Hudson. I have, you know, north views of, of Manhattan. I have no obstructions. I don't have to pull my blinds down for anything. Now I think, okay, so they're going to put 10 stories above this building. What does that do for me? But I also say... You know, thinking about what you just said, you know, there's not a lot of land left. There's not a lot of places where you can go purchase and build these buildings. So now they're going to be putting them on top of low-rise buildings. How do you do that? I mean, that sounds like... How do you do that in terms of what? Physically or what? 
well, no, physically, I think they can they can figure it out. But what what is the the beauty of that? I mean, why would somebody want to build a, a luxury? And I understand it's going to be a super luxury building on top of a rental building. I mean, I, I look in, in that case, you've got a great location. It's prime Upper West Side. You're two blocks from the entrance to the highway. Absolutely. Um, you get views of the river. You can probably once you're up high, you get views of Central Park. That's why they're doing it. Uh, it's an underbuilt building. Now, oh, the views that will be spectacular. Right. You've got a lot of hurdles. You've got structural issues Absolutely. that you're going to have to contend with. You've got to probably drop steel columns through an existing building that's occupied. I'm guessing there are rent stabilized people in there. I don't know. I don't know, but I think you're right. Yeah. Okay, so that's going to be a complication. Absolutely. More than likely, that developer will probably face some kind of a lawsuit from the rent stabilized tenants. Wanting to stop. Welcome them. to New York. And it's right. getting a lot harder to do today. If you look at the recent laws passed in city council by some of our local politicians, yeah, it's just getting very difficult for yeah. owners to do work in a rent-regulated property. Uh, so that developers, it's not going to be an easy build. So, given your successes at uh, at at Shore Assets, and given your success with uh, three eighteen West Forty Seventh Street, what is next for you, Mark Shore, and your company, and future developments? Well, we happen to be immersed in uh, rebuilding a building that we own. Our first building we bought up on Amsterdam Avenue, Eighty Fourth and Eighty Fifth Street, uh, where uh, we've got two great restaurants. Jacob's Pickles is one of our tenants, and they East opened Park, again. They opened Yay! Again. I know. It was about six months in their reopening. We had to put a new ceiling back in. There was a fire there in February. So we're in the process of rebuilding that building. Um, So that's next on our agenda. It'll remain a rental walk-up building, but, you know, it'll be all current, mostly current market rate apartments with current finishes. We had redone that building about 15, 20 years ago, so we'll take another stab at updating to current market conditions. And we're on the look for new opportunities, whether it's uh, new construction ground up or existing building that we can go in and renovate and and work, whether it's a regulated building or not, and maybe start looking at some other areas of the city, take a look in in, uh, some other markets like the Bronx or Queens, certain places that perhaps you can get better value today than prime Manhattan for an acquisition. All right, Mark Shore from uh, Shore Assets. Thank you for being. He's going to stick around with us for for a little while longer. And I have now the panelists here: Niall Lundgren from Compass, Phil Horrigan, LeaseBreak.com, Sean McPeak from Compass, and Raymond Lord the Third from Douglas Elements. So we've talked about boutique buildings, mm. uh, New York City's residential development trends. Like I said at the beginning of the show, like so much else in the city, are a study in contrast. On the one hand, super talls continue to sprout up across uh, the town. Uh, altering the city's skyline, and there's been some controversy with that, and providing residents with massive amenity-packed self-contained communities. On the other hand, the boutique condos, as we just talked about, have have been declared the sexiest way to live. You know, they would always be my choice. And they're appearing along waterfronts in Brooklyn, all over Manhattan, downtown and uptown. So my question to you guys as, you know, feet-on-the-street brokers like myself, what are your buyers looking for um, and how do they, you know, compare and contrast a larger building, whether it's a super tall or just a large building or a boutique building? What what becomes, you know, their thinking process? Do they set out saying, I only want this? Or do they kind of say, well, let's look at both and kind of determine what makes the most sense for me? A lot of times uh, buyers that I work with, and I think this is a great show because you get to see, you know, the perspective from a developer. Yeah. 
and then also from the brokers. And it, it's interesting because when you when you start working with a buyer, a lot of times they have a very specific set of what they want, especially if they're a first time buyer. Because in New York, you know their expectations are you know not in line with what the reality is. So most they, of the time, it's not. It's not, and you know they might say, "Look, I I really want a, a boutique building because you know I want to I want to have privacy. That's the most important thing to me." But you know, as you continue to you know go along with the process, and it's always a process, um, you know they might find you know interesting uh, high rise buildings because of certain perks that it might have. You know, some of the buildings that have you know full communities in them, mm-hmm. recreation space, um, saunas, hot tubs, bowling alleys, driving ranges, that that kind of stuff works for a lot of folks. Um, and what you said earlier is that it's funny because it works for them from like a like a theory perspective. Sometimes when you do follow up with them, they're not really using some of the amenities. You know, it's just kind of like an allure to get them in the door. So it really does depend on on the process, on the buyer. Um, but, you know, there is a good trend. You know, people are, you know, from, from my experience, they are saying, what do we have on a smaller size? Um, because it's just, there's not as much like fanfare. There's not as much in and out. And, you know, the more that you have people in the rooms uh, or not in the rooms, but like in the building, you know, there's more opportunity for people to see you. There's social media. There's people can just videotape you all the time. So, you know, I think it really depends on the buyer, but you know, I, I do see a trend going to smaller yeah, buildings. What, I have like a, a trend with some of my buyers, especially my Brooklyn buyers right now is they're kind of anti-amenity and they want something high character, uh, low carrying cost and just lower price overall because as we know the amenities can skew the actual the whole price of the entire thing plus the carrying cost. So I have people that absolutely are kind of looking for something high character, uh, quote unquote no cookie uh, cookie cutter apartments. Um, so like right now we're looking at something that was a church <coughs> built in 1850 in uh, Cobble Hill and it's unbelievable. Uh, but well, Cobble Hill has a lot of those beautiful old, yeah. you know, carriage houses and churches. Converted. But it comes with a lot of maintenance. Your apartment, you're going to be doing townhouse type maintenance with, yeah. you know, because you have old columns, you have old pipes, that there's assessments, whatever. But um, I'm, I'm kind of seeing a uh, trend where people are kind of like, okay, I'll do a walk up or I'll do, you know, an old elevator without a doorman um, just because they want higher character. They don't want to be in, you know, big amenity buildings for some people. One of the things I wanted to say, mention when Mark was talking about, you know, the, the benefits of both or how he saw it is, you know, for, for boutique buildings like yours, there are a lot of celebrity people who I think, you know, Sean is kind of alluding to that like that anonymity and like that privacy and don't want to deal with a doorman and don't want to come in and out and have multiple neighbors seeing their daily, you know, com- comings and goings. Uh, in fact, um, well, I was going to tell you later, but I'm chasing somebody who plays for the Knicks <laughs> who might have an interest, and for the reasons I just stated here, because of the privacy and the anonymity and the garage of this this particular mason. Hey, yeah, if that you have a car, about. that place is look excellent location, especially with the garage. Uh, it, it, you, it's on MSG. Yeah. It's on both. <laughs> well, that that's Vince. The one thing is the the boutique building that you just mentioned, Sean. There aren't that many of them in Manhattan. A lot of them are very expensive. The right. carrying costs are very very high. So when I've had a buyer and we're looking around, we can't find many of those kind of apartments. They tend to be the ones that are, say, maybe 10 units, but there's a doorman and the maintenance is a ridiculous, or the common charges are just a ridiculous that's, that's price. That's exactly what happens. Um, so then you wind up going, if they, if they want that type of sort of privacy, but kind of interesting look and feel, you wind up going to like a Brooklyn or something like that. You know? It's A lot of these people with Manhattan mm-hmm. budgets are looking in Brooklyn right now. Yeah. Um, and they want these. There's a lot of boutique in, in, in um, 
in Brooklyn for sure, and and it seems to be sprouting out a lot more downtown as well. But, but, but now the we're conversion halls too. You know, well, they're, 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 they're not going anywhere fast. You but know? in Brooklyn, downtown Brooklyn, I mean, they're building up. So. I remember, I'm long enough in the business to remember when the first glass condo towers started going up. And it's not all that long ago, guys. It's like 10 years ago that I say, I used to say, I feel like I'm in Dallas, Texas. We never had these super tall or tall all glass buildings. Anytime I went to Dallas for business, that's all I used to see. Right? It's like a new city skyline in downtown Brooklyn when you're ca- crossing like one of the bridges and you look it, south. It, it's, it's like, what, like, what is that? Da- you like, you think it's downtown Manhattan? Like, you think it's Lower Manhattan? It, it's actually. It, it's a not. Do you find most of your buyers in Brooklyn have cars? Uh, yeah, we do. All right, we're going to leave it there. Coming back after these uh, these messages, but first, you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Mark Shore from Shore Assets, Niall Lundgren from Compass, Phil Horrigan, Leasebreak.com, Sean McPeak from Compass, and Raymond Lord III from Douglas Elliman. All right, Mr. Leasebreak.com, one for you. There are all sorts of reasons why renters might want to break a lease. Your job moves, your roommates are horrible, you're going through a bad breakup. You know, unfortunately, most people's lives don't always line up with the first-time 12-month lease or two-year lease, whatever things change. Ending a lease early is a pretty standard thing in the world of real estate, but unless you're relocating for work and have an employer willing to pay for the balance of your rent, you've got some financial responsibilities to face before you leave. Basically, your lease is a contract, and people forget that all the time, and Mark, you could probably relate to this as well, and you have to start from the position that you're obligated. You either have to find some reason to uh, have the landlord agree to let you out or find something the landlord has done to breach the agreement. So my question is really, how easy is it in this town to break a lease? Do you mind if I, I, I answer this? I wouldn't know right anything ahead. about go this. Right so let's go straight to leasebreak.com. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, that's why I say Mr. Le- Mr. Leasebreak.com. So, um, well, 
one of the the reason why I started the site wasn't so that people could break their leases. It was just so that there's a marketplace to help them break their lease once they get their landlord's approval. Because it's very difficult for a tenant to do all the marketing themselves. And usually the landlord puts the burden on the tenant. But I will say one of the biggest sort of like just, I guess, things that people don't realize or if they're just coming to Manhattan or they want to break their lease, they assume that because of the sublease or the lease agreement says that they can get out of the lease or they can sublease it, you know, with the landlord's permission, that they could, oh, I could do it, no problem. They don't even speak to their landlord sometimes. So that's a huge, huge problem. And the other thing is some people cite this sort of very uh, confusing, vague New York State law that says that you could sort of get out of your lease. I'm not even get into the details now. And they just, by citing that, they think it's not a problem. Let me tell you right now, like, that is such a non-starter. If you think you can get out of your lease without speaking to your landlord, I mean, it's like you're going to be in such a world of hurt. So the first thing you should do is get is talk to your landlord. Now, usually the landlord, usually it is in the landlord's interest to work with you if you want to get out of the apartment. The landlord could often get more money for their rental, perhaps. Maybe they could even, the landlord could even t- uh, time the lease better. For example, let's say you want to break your lease in the summer. Great. The landlord would love to have a lease that starts in the summer. You know, so, I mean, the, the, the best thing is talk to your landlord. Usually they'll work with you to try to, or you'll put the burden on you to try to find someone to take over the lease. Mark, you're also, aside from a developer, you're certainly a large uh, landlord in this town. That's so correct. from your perspective, landlord perspective, what do you see out there? So, as you said, people's lives change, things happen, circumstances, jobs, relationships. Um, one of the things we also do as a landlord, when we have a couple moving in together, we get both on the lease because there are times when, and it's joint and several, one leaves, we're left with one. If that person's not on the lease, then as a landlord, you're like, okay, where are we now? Because the person who's in occupancy has no legal obligation necessarily, but we as landlord do try to work with our residents. We have a policy where, you know, yes, the tenant is responsible, but we will work together with the tenant to try to find a new resident. We also have, as you indicated, that it's better to get your apartments back in the summer. So we have a blackout period. If someone is, if we give someone the permission to break their lease early, we generally create a blackout period from like the end of October through. February, March, where we will not allow somebody to break their lease. Need to talk to him offline. Well, I was going to say the other thing. A lot of landlords, when they know that we're this legitimate marketplace, they actually find that they it helps the landlord to say, "Well, go to leasebreak.com and and good, you know, and, and market the place that way." It's a way for the landlords to almost like in a way kind of get off the hook. It shows a landlord is trying to work with the tenant on mm-hmm. some level, and we are like the most transparent marketplace um, you could imagine. We also have a policy where. We will, certain landlords, because we're all about transparency. We don't want people to post on our site if they don't have their landlord's approval. So we will um, create alerts for landlords for free. And they could get, uh, you know, uh, emails if people are posting in buildings that shouldn't be posting in them. So, I mean, we're really like, I mean, I I hate to say it, but like the anti-Airbnb as far as that kind of stuff goes. And it's probably because I've been a real estate agent for so long and I know how things work here. And you're signing a contract. You want to be on the side with the landlord, if the tenant and the landlord are in a contract, you have to work together if you want to get out of your lease. So and as I said earlier, a lot of people you know, don't understand that, that it is an absolute contract, just like a sales contract to buy something. Right. And I was going to say, how, how's the approval process between the current tenant who's looking to get out of the lease and then the new tenant 
coming in to take over that lease. Right. Are they subject to the same? Uh, well, what I was going to say is, and, and you'll, you'll, I'm sure he has, so every landlord is different. Some landlords will say, I never want a short-term rental on my apartment. So if you have three months left on your lease, you have to tear up the lease and I want a new 12-month renter. That's actually like a technically a lease break. Yeah. There's also a lease assignment. Some landlords say, no, 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 who's ever coming in, I want that person on the lease, but I still want my lease to begin and end the same time it was. So then that person is assigned, the new person is assigned to that lease. Then there's a sublet. There are some landlords out there, I think there's probably not as many, but some will say, I don't care who's in the apartment. And again, this is very risky nowadays, but some say, I don't care who's in the apartment. I just want my check every month. Now, there are some landlords that I think they would never go on record saying this, but the truth is that is how they look at it. And these are some of the small landlords. They have walk-ups. They don't even live here. They haven't lived here for maybe 20 years. And they just want to make sure they get their check every single month. And that's a sublet. And that's where the incoming tenant pays the uh, sorry, the yeah, incoming tenant pays the existing tenant. So it really depends. So it really depends on the landlord. Do you have any metrics or insight into what the like the the line share of, of I would say leasebreak.com is? Most of them say you could either find someone to take over the lease or find a new 12-month renter. They usually give the tenant the option and we actually our site allows for that. Like so in other words when you're breaking your lease, you could put in there um I'm looking for a four-month renter for the remaining four months or a new 12-month renter, and mm-hmm. it will come up in both searches because we got it, you know, so yeah. All right, moving on. It's one of the first questions to think about when you're considering whether to put your apartment on the market for sale. How much work should you put into it, if any? Uh, will a glossy gut renovation jack up the price a few hundred thousand dollars? Will a cost of paint and some floor polish accomplish the same? Should you make the apartment look generic for maximum marketability? Uh, I say yes. What about just putting the place up for sale without any work? I mean, we've all talked to sellers. We've all been in and out of sellers' apartments. Ray, out in the Hamptons, I'm sure you walk in and out of homes that are in great shape and some not great shape. And it's always, in my opinion, a difficult conversation to have with people because everybody thinks that they live in the Taj Mahal. Everybody thinks that, you know, their place is lined with gold and everybody thinks, you know, it looks great. And and because of that, I want $100,000 more. So... What do we say to people when they ask us, should I do this or should I do that? I mean, what is it? What do you, what do you use as a basis of, of response? I mean, you mentioned it in there. It's kind of just a general um, marketability uh, kind of answer, I think. So I just like to go with gray or white, um, try to just make it, I don't know, I want to say generic, but look new. I mean, if you have, uh, if you haven't painted and you're going to, uh, your paint actually looks a lot more dull. And you don't even notice it while you're living there. But a fresh coat of paint, even if it's the same colors, will do a world of wonders for your apartment. Yeah. Matter of fact, I've done this before and people have decided to keep their apartments. So. <laughs> but, what, but what do you, but, yeah, exactly. But what do you say to people who say to you, no, 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 my place is fine. I don't need to do anything. I think we should put it on the market, test the marketplace, see what we can get. Because I've, I've been living here and I think it looks great. Then sometimes you have to adjust the price. Yeah, exactly. I was about to say, fantastic. Let's go with an aggressive pricing strategy yeah. and, and draw people in. But the way, before I even say that, though, I always like to explain the theory as to why. I, the reason why you want to change your apartment a little bit and listen to your agent is because you want to create the most sort of neutral environment possible because the people coming in, the buyers, want to imagine themselves in the apartment. And it's very difficult to do that if the owner has a, a non-neutral color here or a very specific taste. So the idea is you want, and first of all, as a, as a seller's agent and a seller, you want to cast as wide of a net as possible, generally speaking, so that you have the few the, the fewest amount of objections in an apartment. 
So all these little things make a big difference. And so that's what I, that's how when I give them the theory, it kind of opens their eyes up. And I also say buyers can't imagine stuff as well as you think they can. They just yeah. cannot. They, they cannot never imagine can. anything, yeah. nothing. Yeah. I always go on the assumption that a buyer comes in and they can't visualize or imagine anything. Well, it's a pendulum swinging, right? So out in the Hamptons, we've seen a trend where people just want to have everything done. And I think it's a large part because of New York City makes it so difficult. We were talking offline with Mark about it took him three years to do that project. People really need to understand the time and time value of money. So if you have something that's new construction or just newly renovated, people are going to pay for that because they don't want to be bothered. Like It's too busy here. Exactly. And, you know, aside from just do I renovate or not, do I put a fresh coat of paint on the wall or not, it also comes down to decluttering. And we've talked about this numerous times on this program, decluttering, staging properly, an empty apartment really does not show well, even if it's brand new. And developers are very keen to understand that you've got to make these places look like someone is living in them. And I think when buyers walk in, they fully appreciate that because they don't have, as Ray said, vision. They don't understand. They can't imagine anything. So they see where a sofa on the wall is. They see where a table and chair is. And they get a good sense of But to answer your, question, your other question, too, like a renovation update, it, <clears throat> if you have a nice coat of paint or a good, you know, I don't even call it staging because that can, you know, turn some people off their apartment. But um, I say styling and just a little bit of paint, a couple thousand dollars of work can yield tens of thousands of dollars 100%, in the difference, especially, 100%. especially when you're talking about getting exposure and more buyers in there. I proved that last year in Hell's Kitchen in one of my, my apartments at 505. And, you know, it was a guy living in it and he really didn't take care of it. He beat it up kind of. So I said, to the, get the superhero to, to fresh this up. I kind of, you know, fluffed it up with a few other things. Sold in one day. On the market three or four weeks before that, people would walk in, walk out. I mean, it's a great apartment, but it just did not look right. One day, staged on a Thursday and Friday, not staged, but cleaned it up, whatever, painted, had the housekeeper come in and clean. Sunday open house, full ask offer, one day. So, you know, we say this a lot on this program. It does matter. It does. And sellers out there who say, well, you know, I don't really want to do this, and or I don't have the budget to do that, and I let's just take a chance. It's never easy conversation. It's sometimes tough conversation, but it's conversation that has to happen. One thing I was going to say is a perfect example of this is like when I first started in the business, I did a lot of rentals and I would show a client a small apartment or a small room and it was empty. And I can tell, can't tell you how many people said, there's no way a bed could fit in here. And I mean, I must have this conversation a hundred times and, and I was like, no, it can. I, 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 was, I saw the bed in here just a week ago. You know what I mean? And so eventually you learn that there is just a perception thing where if you don't have that furniture in there, an empty room just doesn't work, you know? Sometimes you do an inflatable mattress in a rental apartment or or I'll outline a bed with like post-it notes on the floor. Yeah. So sometimes... What do we always... You don't have any money, but you can can make it work. You You can can make it work. But what do we always say about that? A, a, A room or an apartment in general, but a room certainly always looks bigger when there's furniture in it. And when you take totally. the furniture out, it really looks small. And people are surprised by that. Like a, a, if, Stunned if someone, by that. If someone just started searching, they would say, wait, it looks bigger with furniture in it? I would think it would look bigger without furniture, yeah, I think which is huge, not true. A huge cheap difference maker, too, with something what we're talking about um, is just a little bit of art with some color will completely Agreed. bring something alive. Color is my best friend. We have to leave it there. We're listening to Good Morning New York live from Blast Off Productions. We'll be back for our last segment right after these messages. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com 
It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters, performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Aliens with Gas is the program you're listening to. We are the Extraterrestrial Rock Show, airing every Saturday afternoon on the VoiceAmerica.com Variety Channel. And we're going to play the rest of the Uli John Roth interview on our overtime. And I dig that because you're doing the, the Brady Bunch thing, aren't you? I am. Because <laughs> I have a, you know, doing? a theremin app right. on my phone. So it's not, you know, a real theremin. If anybody knows the Brady Bunch, what I'm talking about... Watching the skies. That's every Saturday right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back with Niall, Phil, Sean, Ray, and Mark. So this is one of my favorite New York stories. A massive 14, because I've been in this town long enough to relate to this. A massive 14-bedroom townhouse near Zabar's on the Upper West Side of Manhattan is on the market for the first time in four decades, first time in 40 years, and it's asking $19.95 million, of course. This, according to the New York Post, uh, and verified on our broker system by me. The six-story limestone and brick townhouse is owned by a Broadway producer and his wife. The couple purchased this sprawling mansion, which comes with a private garage for a mere $170,000 in 1970. Now, these people are in show business. They probably have good taste, but sometimes you get in there and it's like... The old order, school opulence but, but, doesn't but, necessarily but translate. It doesn't, but my, my, my thought is, you know, they, they paid $170,000 for it. Even if they sold it for 5 or $6 million, which they'll sell it for a lot more because the, the real estate or the, or the building itself and the land is worth so much on the Upper West Side, but... That's quite a profit. I would you know, question that, though. Capital too. gains. I mean, you're, you're well, going to get. They, well, they, they didn't pay 170. They paid gains. 170 plus 40 years of maintenance. Well, and true. That's killer. And, and whatever. Could, and whatever. So, but they, so they, but they certainly didn't. <laughs> they certainly didn't spend 19 million dollars over 40 years. But if you would have right? put 170 thousand dollars into the S and P 500 in 1970. That's a lot of money. Uh, you will get, I mean, it might not be quite $19 million. It's going to be close, I'm telling you. Yeah, they, have oh, fun. they have way more fun on the Upper West Side than uh, well, <laughs> they looking at financial portfolio. statements. There yeah, you go. Sure. Well, but the I thing mean, is. Years ago, I sold a, a house on the ocean in Montauk that they bought for 135000 And we sold it for $7 million, And the wife <laughs> said to me, you realize you're making more in commission than I bought with this house. Yeah, but that's just, 
Do you know how much money that you just made? <laughs> well, I, I said to no, him, my response, her, why did, my response to her is, I should charge you 10% because the capital gains will offset those with your taxes. So. <laughs> Makes sense. Listen, Slick. you as a developer, Mark, would love to see uh, you know an appreciation like that, right? You bought something X amount of years ago. In fact, I knew somebody years ago who, who bought a lot of buildings up on uh, Central Park North for like in the $100,000 range and over the years has sold them for $5 million, $7 million, $14 million, $13 million. But... You know, not everybody is thinking real estate. Not everybody thinks that these things. And by the way, the townhouse market all through the years has had its ebbs and flows. They've been out of out of fashion, not so popular. People didn't want them. I remember when they were asking a million dollars, I'd say, oh, my God, who would spend a million dollars for a house in New York City when you can spend $200,000 in the suburbs and get something, you know, just as big or grand? Everything is relative here. Anyway, moving on. The rundown, the rundown cobblestone streets of Meatpacking District will be restored completely, and the news is making the neighborhood uh, landlords happy. A part of the $15.4 million New York City Development Fund will be spent to link the district together with a communal revamped streetscape. This has resulted in an exceptionally exciting and dynamic uh, community that blends seamlessly with the inherent characteristics of the area. Geographically, the neighborhood is situated on Manhattan's far west side and is surrounded by Chelsea and West Village on the north and south sides. The neighborhood, which was once famous only for the meat processing and nightclubs, has witnessed several real estate projects in the last year. Those include Sori at 522 West 29th Street and the 11th at 76 11th Avenue to be launched in 18. However, the tumble-down streets do not complement the glossy real estate projects, and more significantly, the, subs- the substructure underneath them is no longer sufficient to handle these loads. Now, as New Yorkers, how do you feel about this change? I kind of say, you know what? Leave the damn cobblestone streets. Figure out the buildings or put, put them where they, they apply. The whole aesthetic of the meatpacking district and the history that it was and how it migrated or morphed to what it is today, wow, that's a piece, a big piece of history They're that not getting just rid of goes that. away. That's what we were just talking about. They're restoring the cobblestone, right? They're not getting rid in of it. In some cases, restoring. In some cases, because of the structure underneath, they have to get rid of it to, to support these toll, super tolls or whatever they're putting down there. Really? That's got to make sense. There's just so much going on over there. You have to make upgrades at I don't at understand some why point. they can't do both, though. Restore yeah. it and then thank you. make them. I mean, right like, now what you. they have, it's it's pretty tough. I mean, if you if you walk there, especially if you go out, you know, and there's girls, they can't walk on those streets. It's pretty funny if you just want to go sightsee, go to meatpacking. Do you know how many times I'm Around like 1 a.m. on a Friday <laughs> or Saturday. As, as, I'm, as I'm zipping quick, by quick, in a taxi <laughs> cab and I see them hobbling across the street and all of a sudden, boom. <laughs> They go flying over multiple it's times. Quite the one save the cobblestones. Save yeah. entertainment. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's hysterical. But I just like the whole aesthetic of... And in the case of Sori, they have pools inside the apartments. It's they like do. They're really kind of asking a lot. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I kind of disagree with changing them. I mean, I wish they would just make some sort of uh, compromise. Like, you guys are talking about panels. Type of like cobblestone panels. I feel like that's the whole character of the area. It's like how many cobblestones can you find in the city at this point? Yeah, there's technology now. You can keep the facade but still have it functional and modern. Yeah, I totally agree. And and something like that. I mean, I, I agree. Niall, you know, you make them where you can. They're they're walkable. You know, yeah. fix them and upgrade upgrade them where they're they're passable. But don't don't get rid of them. I think it's it's quite you know unique. All right, our last topic for the day: the world's population, as we talked about at the top of the show, is getting richer. And they want to spend the wealth on luxury real estate. Now, this is all around the world, not just in Manhattan. The international luxury residential market, 10 million and upwards, will see 
more demand than supply over the next three years, with 20, 25% of high net worth individuals expected to buy high-end real estate compared to the 17% who want to sell. Obviously, this is a supply and demand issue, according to a new report from Luxury Portfolio. What about the extensive inventory that we have currently right now in this town that the developers who are sitting on some of these big, big They're not taking that into account in those numbers, right? They're not. They're not. But but I'm saying, so I look at the international we've, or the, the super luxury marketplace being all over the place, including New York. We've had so many shows where we've talked about the uber wealthy and, right. you know, billionaires versus hundred millionaires and, and how are, you know, and then the, then the slowdown of, of those folks buying at the, you know, super luxury numbers, 30 million, 50 million, 10 million plus, whatever it might be. So to hear that, it says, okay, you know, I'd love to see like the, the real statistics behind it and understand is that like what Sean said? Does that not include the current inventory and only project well, maybe, future? Maybe they don't want to sell because all of them are just buying right now. Could I it be that these luxury magazines are just saying this to you know drum up pump and pump up business? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Luxury I would, I would love to slanted people to buy furniture. Slanted well, we a, journalism, yeah. right? Come we need now. a statistic that it's fun to talk about billionaires and multimillionaires, but the reality is how liquid are they? As we're finding out with this Maclow lawsuit, he's not that liquid. You may be worth a $5 billion, but how much liquid assets do you have? Maybe $100 million. That's not a lot when you, you buy a $50 million apartment. There's, there's a lot of, but there's a lot, of, um, there's a lot of lending going on right now, especially against someone like Maclow is a good, a good example of someone or a bank. A that's private a great bank case study. Want to know, but they lend against your art, for instance. So that's like becoming a huge industry right now is like, you know, Citigroup and uh, UBS. They're big on lending against, you know, pieces of art. Yeah, yeah, so $50 million for a piece of art, they want to lend on that. It's interesting. For a good rate, too. But, yeah, and that's true. Sorry, taking it local, forgetting that, because I look at that story and I say, well, the international buyers, who are these? The, who are they these days? The Chinese aren't spending that kind of money anymore. The, the Ukraines and the Russians are certainly not spending that kind of money anymore. The Brazi- Brazilians sort of have calmed down a little bit. So who then are these buyers? But I, I, think, I think it's the tech buyer. I think it's the guys that are newly minted tech people. International tech people? When I was out in San Even Francisco um, in June, we were driving by um, these towers. And the biggest tower in San Francisco is Salesforce.com. Salesforce yeah. is building mm-hmm. the largest skyscraper. Mm-hmm. And then there's a ton of condo towers. And I'm like, this is a ton of inventory because there's only 600,000 people in, this, in the town. And the brokers out there told me that the developers are building towers based on what they expect uh, companies to IPO for so, so they're building, they're speculating on Uber and uh, companies like this. Uh, you know, a, a initial public offering. I mean, to me, it's that's that's kind of the that's kind of like who we can expect to buy. <clears throat> dot com bubble. Yeah, dot maybe com bubble. bubble. Here we go yeah. again. Nine, uh, 2000. All right, we have to leave it there. We're out of time. That's our show for today. Thanks to Mark Shaw for being here and the panel as always. Until next time, please be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America, all around the world, thanks for joining us, and I will see you back here next week. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 